you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix, Arizona, that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. One thing that I remember very distinctly in my life, I was in seminary a few years ago, and I was in this class where we were supposed to read an assignment, and then somebody would present on that reading to help bring to the class the theological ideas that that person had. It was my turn. I read the stuff. I felt like I digested it. I felt like I comprehended it, and I got my paper written, and it was time for me to present. I'm not afraid of speaking in front of people. That wasn't a problem for me. I got my notes. I looked my peers in the eyes, and I began with a quote from the text. I don't remember the exact quote, but I remember there's a word in the quote that you're going to hear today. I looked at them full of confidence, and I start reading You know those times when you are speaking or doing something and all of a sudden you feel like you're outside of your body, but not in a good way, not in a way that you enjoy it? Like, man, this is happening. This is a lot of fun. No, there was like this discomfort, out of sorts moment that I had and I came across the word epitome. Epitome. My professor, Dr. Olson, who I liked a whole lot and respected. And my peers quickly let me know that that word was pronounced epitome. My head fell to the table. My heart was pounding. My mouth suddenly went dry. I had made a grave mistake. And not only that, I can't pronounce one of the words that I chose to quote at the top of the paper. So did I just pick a random thing and copy and paste it? Like, I'm sure that'll get the point across. I felt stupid. I felt dumb. Anyways, anytime you're in school, in in seminary, you feel like a fraud anyways. Everybody's in there being somewhat pretentious. And I was one of the ones pretending. And I could not even say the elementary word, maybe junior high, epitome humiliated and ashamed, I still have like a physical reaction in my chest when I think of that day looking around the table because they did not think that I was knowledgeable. I didn't have the right to be there. All the things in my head and my heart were telling me that I was a fraud. Just one mispronounced word was all it took and I was rocked, unsettled. We want to be knowledgeable. We want to seem like we know what we're talking about. Abe, I'm looking at you. You're a dentist. Please know the names of the teeth, right? Be able to explain it. Know what you're talking about. Whatever it is in your life, know what you're doing because knowledge is power. Knowledge gives us control. Knowledge gives us a sort of credibility and authority that we desperately need and want. We're in the season of Epiphany, the fourth Sunday, and we've been going through the story of Jesus. Epiphany basically means God making himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. And we're following his early ministries through the gospel of Mark at this moment. And throughout this season, we have met Jesus in the Jordan and have been baptized with him. 
We've walked with Jesus in the wilderness as he was tempted and tried and did not fall. We dropped our nets at the Jordan and answered his call. And now today we are going into the sacred space of the synagogue. Mark chapter 1 verse 28 through 28 reads this. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus looks at the Spirit and says, Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook in the, man at the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching? And with authority... He even gives orders to the impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. How it's Sabbath and Jesus is in the synagogue. As a Jewish man, he has the right to speak what he is thinking to the, the crowd in the synagogue. That's not unordinary. But the way in which Jesus is teaching is extraordinary because the scribes, the interpreters, those who take the law and parse it out for the common people of the Galilee region speak in one way with facts and knowledge and translations and this high-mindedness. And Jesus, even though Mark leaves out the content and the actual words, preaches in a different way, teaches in a way that separates him from them. We don't get his insights on what the kingdom of heaven is like in the book of Mark in this particular passage. We don't get an ethic to live by. We don't get an interpretation of Isaiah. The writer just says he taught with authority. It's silent, way quieter than it is out here. And everybody's staring at this man from Nazareth and they're awestruck and they have no idea what's going on. They don't know if they should be impressed or afraid or what this man is speaking. And as he is speaking, an impure spirit, a man who is ill, cries out. What does he cry out? He names Jesus. He gives him a name. There's something about naming things that gives us a sense of control over that which we are naming. I mean, Moses wanted the name of God as the bush was burning. It's probably a bush that looked like that. We should burn that bush. That's um, a sad, sad bush, and it hurts my heart. But never mind that bush. We're talking about the burning bush. And Moses, in all of his amazement and awe, says, what? is your name. And, G and God just says, I am. He doesn't give them a name to hold on to because the name would give a sense of control or power over that object. But God just is. This spirit cries out, I know who you are, Jesus 
of Nazareth. I know where you're from, you holy one of God. I wonder if that spirit was starting to draw the line in the sand, flexing on Jesus, letting him know that I know who you are. I know who you are. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't respond in kind. He doesn't say, oh yeah, well, I know who you are. In fact, I was just in the wilderness for 40 days without food and your master, your Lord came to me and threw everything that he had. And guess what, buddy? I didn't fall. And the battle, in fact, is on. It's time to go. The ministry is starting. So you know what? Here's your name. Here's your master. Here's my name. You got that right. And get out of him and be gone and go tell your friends. That sounds good. I kind of like that, Jesus. I want to I hear what he has to say. I really wish Mark would have put it in there. But the reason Mark doesn't put in this, this, di- or this dialogue in the preaching and the content says more about this story than the actual words at the time might have been. Jesus doesn't respond like that. Instead, he says the most Jesus-like thing, which he says over and over, be quiet. Shut your mouth. Get out. And just like that, that spirit, although fighting to the very end, it shrieks, does anything but be quiet. And ultimately, it leaves because the presence of the holy drives out the presence of darkness. Always. So Jesus teaches with authority. Yes, you absolutely got that right. And where does that authority come It comes from his holy presence and the driving force of who he is in his being, pushing out that that defies and rejects him. Jesus preaching with authority. There's something about, sorry, I keep backing up. I'm getting this feedback over here. I'm going to make an audible for a second just so I can be fully present. Sorry, Breton, I'm moving your mic. There's something about, though, the, this spirit trying to exert a certain amount of knowledge in the situation. And while knowledge intrinsically isn't a bad thing, it is something that we desperately want. Just like when I said epitome, I felt mortified because it said something to my intellect that made me all of a sudden feel inferior to those around me. And we scroll social media and Twitter and we see things that make us mad. And then we go down the deep dive of searching for the answers and the content in order that we may refute whether even in our own head that other person because they made you mad. And now you're going to become more informed than that person. And therefore, you're going to take the power back. And we start to pursue this knowledge, and knowledge is not a bad thing. God wants us to be knowledgeable. Epiphany is him making himself known. It is a real thing. But the fact that we have intrinsically in who we are as fallen people, we can corrupt and pervert knowledge and use it as a source of oppression and abuse of power and the vehicle in which we try to attain it. Jesus makes himself known in his deeds, but the spirit cannot outknow Jesus by speaking it. What is your name? I am. 
I am. I won't tell you my name, but I'll show you. There's something different brewing. It's this unknown, this mystery, this presence that is felt. We desperately want to give it a name at times, and we desperately want to dissect it and know everything about it, but it is something that is bigger. For me, as a pastor, I went to school. I started working from the age 23 to here I am now. And my life has been in the ministry, but throughout the whole time, I have wrestled myself with being a skeptic. I'm a doubter. Sometimes I'm a cynic. And one of the things I had to do in order to stay in the church even, not just a pastor, was I had to give myself permission to doubt. I tried to figure it out with my head. I did. I tried to figure the things out and parse it out and understand it and come to one paradox after the next or not be able to fully understand that or get stumped by somebody's counterpoint many times. And I've thought about walking away. I've thought about it. Because at the end of the day, my head was never capable of understanding the name of Jesus. While that knowledge isn't bad, in fact, we, we want to present that knowledge in an accessible way so that we can practice together as a community the ways of Jesus. And our website has information and books and, and spiritual practices and ways in which you can grow in your formation through your head. And we, we live that out. We do it. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. But the problem is there are times where it gets to be a hindrance the knowledge becomes something that trumps the heart. So Jesus with this man, this encounter with evil is not a battle of knowledge. The confession of the unclean spirit is a true confession. Jesus is the Holy One of God. But Jesus seems more interested with spreading good news and releasing captives than in making sure he is rightly identified. It's almost as if there's something about knowledge that Jesus wants to avoid, as if knowledge presents some kind of temptation or that it's malleable to the point of distortion. Jesus simply says to the spirit, shut up and leave the poor man alone. And the people were amazed. The people were amazed. It's almost as if Mark is saying that this good news of Jesus brings, this gospel has to be experienced before it can be explained. Be experienced before the parables are presented. Be experienced before that deductive three-point sermon. Be experienced before you get into the weeds with interpretation and perspective. And the people were amazed. The people were utterly blown away. Now this experience with the Spirit of God does something that we cannot fully explain or know. That's what makes it somewhat of a divine mystery, a paradox, even if, if you want to go there to where you want to explain it, but you're like, no, there's something that just happens as a Christian, as a Christ follower, you, you pray for the spirit of God to manifest inside your soul. And we believe that something does happen when that is the case. And with that feeling, 
with that thing that happens, that unknowable, we become amazed at the presence of God. And one of the things that happened throughout the, the second great awakening in this country was the, the Christian, the churches used to be the forefront of the universities. They started out, congregational uh, churches started Harvard and Yale and Brown and, and Rhode Island and the Northeast had, had the universities and they were putting out the leading academics and intellectualism there could have been. But something happened in the turn of the century. There became this spirit of revival, which is not bad, mind you. People began professing and confessing and seeking repentance. But over time, that addiction to the amazement of who Jesus was started to find itself at odds with the institution of academia. And one of the things that the evangelical church did is it started to adopt a term called anti-scholasticism or anti-intellectualism. You cannot explain it. You cannot give us a theological perspective. Instead, you must just feel it. And while knowledge and feeling are very good, both on their own are a perversion away from the epiphany of God, of the knowable Jesus that experiences salvation through the Spirit in your life. So you have the demon man trying to flex with the knowledge and then you have the people in the crowd being amazed and trying to follow. But those same people who were amazed on one day were at the cross of Cal at Calvary saying crucify him because amazement and faith are not the same thing. We can sing our songs of admiration. We just sing beautiful songs of admiration and Jesus loves them. But admiration without soul transformation is just an echo chamber of our own words. We got to feel it. That is absolutely essential. And you know what? We can know it. That is absolutely crucial. But without the presence and the transformation of the Spirit of God in our lives now, it is all meaningless. It's meaningless. Knowledge and amazement. You've probably experienced it at some level in your life in the church. You've maybe experienced it personally as you've wrestled with the doubts and the uncertainties while drawing back to the magical, mystical experiences that you hold on to. But we have a God that wants to be known. We have a God who wants to directly impact your life to be experienced and felt in relationship. And this God does have a name, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And the Spirit says something. As the band's going to come back up here. Even though I messed up their set, we're going to figure it out. We're going to invite the Spirit to play through the music, by the way, so we can feel some stuff while we say some stuff. But he asked the question to Jesus. He says, and I want us to think, just like be present to this question really quick. He asked this question, what are you going to do with us, Jesus? 
feel that for a moment. I'm going to give you space right now for that question just to ring and wash over you. I'll say it again. What do you want to do with us, Jesus? I want to invite you in this moment, still in that frame of mind, being present to the question. I invite you to take a deep breath. Because when we come to the sacred spaces in our life, which is anywhere the presence of God is, which there's a hint, it's everywhere. The direct presence of the holy confronts that which is unclean. And in that divine confrontation, we are left with the question, what are you going to do with us, Jesus? What are you going to do with us, Jesus? And at that point, there's an ultimatum. You can either be healed and renewed, falling to the feet of Jesus and going forth on this new journey we call Christianity, or you can flee and run from them. And sometimes that fling does not look like a physical fling, but there's a fleeting soul that accompanies some of us, even in the presence of our sacred spaces of a gathering like this. I have been there so many times in my life, I can't even tell you. When I'm running from God and that which is unclean metastasizes inside of my soul and I cannot shake it. I try to explain it away at times and I read a new book and I pursue a new trail. Then sometimes I try to experience it through throwing my hands up and worshiping and letting those words wash over, being moved by the beautiful voices and the giftedness of the people who are leading us and I want to be present to that but ultimately, ultimately, my pursuit of knowledge and my pursuit of admiration will always fall short because they're directly linked to the first sin committed by mankind. And that's the choosing of my own self instead of trusting God. God knows this. In fact, he knows so much more about this that He's leaving unsaid. But at the same time, he showed this as he condescended himself down into human form, into mediocrity and in appearance, into a, a nothing town in an oppressed region. And he came preaching a message and he was healing the sick, casting out that which was unclean, giving voice to the marginalized and speaking another way, 
Jesus came teaching the ways of the kingdom and those ways wash over us and we try to live those and we try to lean in and study those, but ultimately Jesus made a divine connection possible by coming to us and revealing himself as God. So we ask ourselves the question, what does God look like? And instead of just studying and studying and studying or singing and singing and singing the words of other people, we stop for a moment and we take a deep breath and we know that God looks like Jesus. That's it. It's very simple. God looks like him. What does God care about? Well, he cares what, about what Jesus cared about. He cares about seeing people. So instead of us taking our, our corrupted pursuit of knowledge and avoiding certain knowledge about ourselves being seen, that one thing that if they knew they would have this power over so you're going to keep it hidden, but you would love to know that thing about them because eh, it feels good. Instead of us falling victim to that, we find ourselves in a place where we can take a deep breath in the middle of downtown Phoenix with noise all around and distraction and all the things that happen with outdoor gatherings and church plants and city life and COVID-19 and racial civil unrest and the reckoning thereof and political strife and, and people who are losing jobs and people who are suffering from chronic depression and, and anxiety guilt and shame and divorce and sickness and the things that plague us. I hope right now we can just take that breath and we can be seen by God and know that it is okay. It's okay because you are loved by God. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to be able to articulate clearly over coffee your divine calling in your life. You don't got to start the thing right now. You don't got to learn more. Permission to just sit for a moment and be quiet. Shut your mouth. Because the presence of the Holy One is here and it does something in us that cannot fully be explained. This fermenting spirit of our soul that takes us on this journey as our guide and our Savior. Jesus, we thank you. Oh God, we thank you. Because we get frustrated we get anxious, we become unsettled. But God, you are moving, not just in us personally, but in our community and in the life of this church. And to this direction that you know where we're going. God, and you're guiding us. And ultimately, yes, we are absolutely blown away and amazed by this. 
God, but we confess right now that our amazement and our knowledge is not enough. God, we respond in faith. And our faith is this. You love us and we need each other. We are loved by you and you showed us the way. That's it. Thanks be to God. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.